0: Welcome, friends, to the Friends That Carry On podcast, where we dive deeper in our trips, unpack tips, and everything in between. The one who holds the torch key is your host. Get ready for your ears to go on a trip with your favorite group of friends. So hello, everyone. Welcome to the Friends That Carry On podcast. This is episode six. Today is Friday, May 3rd, 2019, and I'm Brian Romine, today's host. And I'm here with our other friends today. We have a full boat today for the first time in a while with Mr. Tony, Eric, Walt, and Jim. So last week, if you missed it, we talked about all kinds of cool things to do in London. So feel free to check out that podcast and also to email us or with any questions or comments. But today, we're very excited to have Rick Gaz join us from GlobalGaz.com. Rick has been tracking his quest to visit all 193 countries in the world as listed by the U.N. And in his early years, Rick uh, spent many years in the corporate world and has now ventured out into the world of travel, podcasting, and uh, has published three books to date and does quite a bit of freelancing for several outlets and currently the host of Counting Countries, a podcast where he interviews some of the most travel people in the world. And Rick's also been a keynote speaker at several well-recognized travel-related conferences. Rick, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Guys, thank you so much for the uh, opportunity, and I'm excited to speak with you.
0: Excellent. So I thought uh, we'd maybe just start out by saying or asking, can you tell us maybe a little bit more about yourself and how you ended up where you are today in this crazy travel world?
1: Yeah, I'm blushing a little bit after that overview of my bio, so that was quite nice. But yeah, I was living a pretty traditional life. I went to college. I got a corporate job after graduation. I toiled for Quite a number of years in the investment industry. And then I kept on getting laid off. And every time I got laid off, I looked at it as a great opportunity to go travel overseas. And there was a final layoff in 2008 during the financial crisis. I started traveling beginning of 09 and traveled for about 11 months. During that trip, I knew I could not go back to the traditional nine to five corporate world i'd have to fi- I'd have to figure something out, and I did, and travel became the main focus of my life.
2: Just a quick question in doing that, how did you figure out how to support yourself and make it a a lifestyle or you know way to get paid and travel as well, or when did you figure that out in that time frame?
1: Well, I definitely didn't figure that out in two thousand and nine, but when I came back from that trip, I moved back to my uh, condominium in Chicago and then Organically, some opportunities came to me. I started two businesses, one failed and the other didn't. And the other business, which was real estate investing, worked out very well. And that provides the bulk of my income with travel, blogging, and the associated areas also providing some benefits as well.
0: Okay. So, is there a certain experience that you can pinpoint, you know, that kind of really captured your interest as, as you were exploring this back in 2008, 2009, where you just said, okay, this is it. This is the one thing that has made me decide this is what I really want to do now.
1: Well, I, I don't know if there's a, a light bulb moment. I think it's a combination of frustration with the corporate world. I mean, the reality was, you know, I was working for a boss who was not that great, a company which I didn't really respect. It was frustrating. So, you know, I was making decent money and that was the draw. So, I mean, it was hard to step away from making a good living. But when I got on the road and I got further and further away from the corporate drone life, I said, I can't go back to that. I somehow, I got to figure it out. That was kind of the evolution into realizing I didn't want to go back to where I was before.
0: Well, kind of dovetailing off of that, then the uh, there, there was maybe a point you can't really pinpoint the exact moment where you said, I'm going to do this for a living, but or for the rest of my career or life. But how did you or when did you get to a point where you said, ah, but maybe I'll just go ahead and see if I can visit all 193 countries.
1: <laughs> yeah. So as I mentioned, I'd done two. I'd been laid off before, once in 04 and once in 05. And after those layoffs, the first time I took an eight-month trip and the second one a three-month trip and just had an amazing, just fantastic time learning and traveling. During the trip in 09, after the final layoff, when I did an 11-month trip, part of my strategy was trying to visit only new countries. So I started off in South Korea and just kept on going West and just started checking off new countries. Now, while I was counting countries, I said to myself, like, oh, I'm just going to travel to every country in the world. But back just 10 years ago, the community of people trying to travel to every country in the world was basically unknown and very little. So I didn't even really know it was a thing to do. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so... That has changed significantly now with the internet, with Facebook. Now there's you know large communities online who are all networking and talking with each other. And you can see all the other people in the world trying to accomplish the same goal. So it was part just serendipity that I pulled out the map and I just said, hey, I'm going to go try and do this on my own. And then I would say in around 2014, once I started seeing other people online trying to do this, I said, "Oh, I really need to refocus on this goal and see if I can do it as well."
0: Gotcha. So, so that's a, a pretty small group of people that have accomplished that. Is, is does the stats still hold that I saw on your website where fewer people have visited all the countries in the world and have been into outer space?
1: Yeah. So I love that statistic, and from my understanding and the community's understanding. That statistic still holds true. 550 people have been to outer space. It's believed a couple of hundred people have traveled to every country in the world. That's pretty cool. That's
0: cool. Yeah. How, how far do you think you're away from making that uh, a reality for you?
1: Yep. So I just finished my 137th country, which was Cape Verde. 137 sounds impressive and amazing. But so the reality that sinks in is there's still 56 more to visit. I'm thinking I can maybe do that in the next, uh, be done in three years.
3: That's pretty cool. Here's a question. What do you consider a visit? What do you consider? How much time do you have to spend there (laughs) to check it off the list? Good question. You can't just lay (laughs) lay, a layover. Everybody has to have a lack of a better word, a litmus, I
1: guess. (laughs) Yeah. What's yours? So I think you just touched on one of the most controversial questions within the community. Of course I did. <laughs> that is Mr. Controversial. That is me. <laughs> I, I like your style. <laughs> you know, there's no universal governing body, right? So everybody can make up their own rules, and then everybody can gossip and talk about each other in the community about how long that person stays in each country. My personal rule is airport slash layovers don't count. But beyond that, I'm pretty flexible. Meaning I went to Monaco and I count that as a visit, but I spent the day there. I didn't
4: sleep over. Okay. Like we went to uh, Mostar for a day trip, didn't sleep there, but I spent the entire day there. So i yeah, we drove into it. Yeah.
1: So yeah. So Rick, what does your passport look like? Do you have? <laughs> and do you have like an extra passport? I do have two U.S. passports, which is a tremendous help to allow me to kind of pursue this quest. So if you write a nice letter to the U.S. government explaining why you need two passports, um, in most cases they will issue you a second U.S. passport. Oh, awesome. Interesting. Interesting. That's yeah, great information. That is good information. I, I hope
0: that that's a problem for me one day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it's something good to strive for.
4: Yeah. <laughs> so, I have a quick question for you, though. So, one of the things, even I don't even know how many countries I've been to right now. Uh, I have to go look. But the one of the things that we always struggle with is, you know, you fall in love with a few places, and then you just want to go back. How do you kind of mix in that kind of concept that you want to go visit a place that you kind of like with also trying to reach reach your goal? Great
1: question. Yeah. Another eternal question for anybody in the travel community. And I think we all struggle with that. I do every, every time. So last year, I think I went to 29 countries, 15 were new and 14 were repeats. Mm. So now in the back of my mind, every time I go to a repeat country, I say to myself, oh, I could have gone to a new country instead and I'd be that closer to completing my quest. But at the end of the day, like all of us on this conversation, the reality is the passion is travel. So when I go back, when I go back to one of these countries, I love it. And the completion of my quest will just simply have to wait for another day. Well said. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. So you have 50
0: some countries left to go. Which ones of those or or do you have a couple of those that you could pinpoint that says, "Oh, those are going to be hard to do?
1: Well, there's a couple which are more challenging. So you can look at, let's say, Libya and Afghanistan, which are more challenging from a safety security issue. So you have to time those visits as well as you can, because sometimes they are more stable than other times. You know, I have some other countries like Venezuela are in that category. Um, Getting the Pakistan visa can sometimes be a little challenging. I'm going to be trying Pakistan in September. So, yeah, there's still a fair amount of easy ones to go, but some challenging ones as well.
0: Yeah. So North Korea. Have you been to North Korea?
1: Yeah, I did North Korea several years ago and before the new travel ban for Americans to visit there. It was actually a relatively easy country to visit. You would contact one of the several companies that brings Westerners to North Korea. You would send a scan of your passport and they would do all the work of getting your visa for you and setting up the trip. So in some ways, it was really straightforward.
2: How how costly was that? Was it fairly reasonable or, I mean, is there an extra expense to having somebody else do that for
1: you? You know. You can't travel there independently on your own, so your only option is working with one of these established companies. And the other benefit, since there's three companies, the trips can be pretty competitive. And I you know, I can't remember it exactly. I mean, one of the companies offers, I think, like a one-night trip for probably only a couple hundred dollars. So those people who want to check the box right. uh, are right. able to get there for pretty cheap money. Right.
0: Very good. Well, I'm, you know, kind of moving on here into maybe some some newer parts of or topics here. The um, you know, through your travels, you've mentioned that you've really met some some true new friends. And uh, I think one of the episodes quarantined in China was one of those. And we were curious about some of your more memorable new mates. And uh, how do you stay in touch with those people?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you, you picked maybe one of my favorite travel stories of all time. It was, in some ways, one of the best travel memories and the worst travel memory. So if you're in Kathmandu, um, a number of companies offer weekly trips overland to Lhasa, Tibet. So you can sign up for the trip, and every Monday morning you meet in Kathmandu and you jump on a bus and you head to the border, which is only several hours away. So I signed up for this tour, and 23 of my new friends also did the same thing. We got up to the Chinese-Tibet border, we crossed the Friendship Bridge, and we entered in Chinese immigration. Uh, This was during the time of the H1N1 panic, or flu, or whatever you want to call it. And they took your temperature, as you entered into Tibet. One woman on her bus had a fever. Mm. And before I knew it, we saw her being whisked away and be put on an ambulance. (laughs) (laughs) A a little startling. (laughs) They then held the remaining 23 of us on a basically patio outside of the immigration center. And after several hours later, a bunch of Toyota Land Cruisers pulled up. They said, "Hey, you know, we're we're going to take you on." And we all jumped in, and about 20 minutes later, 10 minutes later, they pulled up to a small motel and they locked us up in there for 5 days. Oh, yeah, oh,
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I suppose at that point
1: it's a good thing you're not working for corporate America anymore. <laughs> yep, I would be getting a, another layoff slip because one would have- <laughs> No one would have ever heard from me.
3: And did you have internet connection for those five days?
1: I personally did not. There was a guy from Singapore that had like some sort of SIM card that was getting some sort of signal. But this was also in 2009. So, you know, it, wow. kind of not the vibrant internet age that we're living in today. Right. I'm sure there were awesome accommodations
4: too for five days,
1: right? It it was like a it was probably is this like 16 room motel, two-floor motel. Very simple, very Spartan. And and that's where we were for five days until they finally were. <laughs> and
3: that's and that's all you're gonna say about it. <laughs> okay, we got you. We <laughs> so <understand. laughs> so is this,
0: is
1: this where you uh maybe made some of those new friends? A hundred percent. I mean fifty percent of the time this was the an extremely funny, humorous situation. And 50% of the time, it was actually a bit unnerving.
4: Um, <laughs> Just 50%. Yeah.
1: 50%. You know, at times we made the best of the situation, but at other times we are getting fearful because, you know, there's a lack of communication. They weren't telling us when we would be released. We felt like these government officials that who would barely update us, relying to us. And we began not to trust them. And it it became kind of a bad situation like that. On the upside, we paid one of our caretakers like $50 to buy a DVD player because one guy had, you know, five seasons of Weeds on DVDs. (laughs) You know, there's another day I, I paid someone to buy me Pringles and a case of beer. So we were all drinking. (laughs) <laughs> um, it, was, it was really an exercise in camaraderie. And I kind of say, it's like, you know, you meet someone traveling overseas on a week trip and that week trip equals two years in real life. Well, we were together for eight days with five of it being in quarantine. And that was so intense. I mean, to me, that equals... 10 years of, of friendship in real life. So really made some great friendships. I just, you know, I still talk with a lot of them. I see some of them occasionally, but there's definitely a bond between the group. That's great. Well, I hope it
0: added 10 years to your life and didn't
2: take away 10 years of your life.
1: <laughs> well, Did anyone I,
2: major panic attacks with all that stress that that you're
1: under? Mm, I'm trying to think if we had any crying on the trip. There, there are <laughs> crying. crying and traveling. <laughs> there were a couple meltdowns and there's a little bit of crying, I would say, by one or two people. So yeah, it was it, it did at times get, you know, intense, I would say. I'd be like, dude,
2: I bought you Pringles and beer. Stop crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so Rick
0: how are you uh with, with those uh people that you you know had you know formed those close relationships with what's the best way you found to kind of stay in touch with them is it through you know texting facebook what's your medium that you use
1: Yeah I mean I you know everything is driven by facebook and then in addition we created our own private closed group with all of us in it so Every now and then we'll post something and, you know, there'll be the anniversary of our quarantine and <laughs> some, someone will post a picture of one of our guardians or caretakers. So some good memories. That's what a great you story. You should meet up and lock yourself into a hotel room. And you. No, we, we've, <laughs> jo- we've joked about it.
0: Hey, hey Rick. Uh- there, about 10 miles from here, there's a hotel that reminds me exactly of what you just described. So if you guys are looking for a reunion, we can book
1: that for you. Uh, well, we should possibly set that up.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. Hey, Rick, do you ever get to this area of the country over um, here? Well, well South Florida, well, now, D.C. anyway.
1: When I was in my 20s, I had some jobs where I was traveling for work all the time, and – I did probably about 45 of the 50 states and most of that during the, that sales job in the 20s. West Virginia is one of those categories where you guys might make fun of me. I've technically been in West Virginia, but it was just driving through for a couple of hours from getting from Ohio to, to be honest, I can't remember what was on the other side. But I did cross through West Virginia. <laughs> no or East. So I'll have to I I have to do an official visit for West Virginia at some point.
0: I was going to say, I mean, uh, all joking aside, you know, if you ever find yourself out this direction close by, get in touch with us. And uh, there's lots of wonderful places here in the Shepherdstown area to stay and uh, close to, you know, close to D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia. Lots of really great, great places to get within an
1: hour. I will definitely take you up on it when I swing through, guys. All right. I have another question. Oh, yeah. No, we've got yeah, tons of time. Um, what you're, when
3: you're asked, the very first place you went, what comes to your head? Your very first trip.
1: My very first trip was somewhere in the Caribbean with my parents, and I couldn't even tell you what country it was. Okay. Hey, that's kind of like mine. My, my first trip. I think
4: I was 13 and went to the Bahamas. Yes. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Change
2: gears, Rick. What's your most favorite place to go? Obviously Bangkok, but outside of Bangkok, what's your your place if you have
1: that? Well, I would say, as you might imagine, I'm sure you guys get that question. That's probably the most difficult question to answer. I typically say my two favorite countries are Thailand and Armenia. Those are the two countries I've spent the most amount of time in outside of the US. But the realization has come to me that my favorite country, so to speak, is probably Myanmar or Burma. I just went there for my fifth time in uh, February of this year. Fantastic! Where awesome. Where were you in Myanmar? This trip was um, Yangon, Bagan, and Chin State. A town called Mindat, and then to Mandalay. Nice. That's not too far from from
4: Bangkok,
3: right? I, I have another question. Is that because maybe it has to do with the expenses? It not it's not near as expensive over there. Does that have a lot to do with it, or not at all? I'm just curious.
1: That's always a great bonus. I love not spending a lot of money. And you that, can do that there. <laughs> yeah, and the, but that I mean, at the end of the day, that's not the determining factor. Right. Uh, I think, like, the good example of what you're getting at is you can rent a bike, a motorbike, actually, an e bike, for like $7 for the day in Bagan to see the temples there. Mm-hmm. I was just in Portugal and they're renting motorbikes for $30 a day. Mm-hmm. So, what's going to be more enjoyable at some level? I- I'd rather spend $7.
0: Right. So, so what are the uh, the you know, the favorite things that you find in all of the places you've visited that really draw you or make you feel like this this is a wonderful place? I liked this country, this country, and this country because of what?
1: Yeah, I think it's because of a diverse group of reasons. Meaning, I'm attracted to the strength of the country. So, if I'm in Mauritania, I love Mauritania because because of the the desert, the Sahara Desert. It's beautiful. Which you, um, you're attracted to the what of the
3: country? You didn't get that word. You blacked that. You blanked out.
1: I'm attracted to the strength of the country. I got so, you. So if I'm in Kenya, I love Kenya for the safari. If I'm in Mauritania, I love it for the desert. And if I'm in Palau, I love Palau because I'm going to go snorkel, and it's the most amazing ocean life that I'm going to see.
0: Yeah. So for you, it, it sounds more about like getting out and about. It's not about the, the restaurants or the food as much as the, the travel and experiences than, than what would be you know, the theater or the, or the food or something of that sort.
1: I mean, one of my biggest liabilities is my extreme fussy and picky eating habits, which becomes <laughs> a real negative there's a handful of countries where I love the food like the Middle East or Italy or India. And I'm really happy to be eating in those countries, but some countries like, you know, Mauritania, it's like, you know, I, you know, I just rather eat some bread and mm-hmm. I brought some peanut butter and I rather that eat that, than I don't want to eat the camel stew. I'm not adventurous. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: No so, camel milk either. So here's here's my segue. Do do you find um, getting the peanut butter in the countries a little bit easier than smuggling cigarettes into
1: (laughs) Syria? I'm impressed. You guys are great with segues and research. Uh, Yeah, peanut butter is a lot easier to bring into the country. Very, very dense and heavy. So it takes up a lot of weight in the bag, but very good food to travel with.
2: So, so that was actually a
0: bit of a serious segue. You know, It would be kind of cool to hear a little bit about that experience of the, uh, your story on the cigarettes into Syria and uh, the way you applied the border and held your breath. <laughs> can, you, can you talk to us a little bit about that experience?
1: Yeah, no doubt. So in 2009, when I did the 11th month trip, I at some level had plotted out all the countries I was going to go to during that trip. As I said, I kind of just kept on pushing westward. A lot of the time was spent in the Middle East, and I was carrying the Lonely Planet Guide, the physical book with me. Really? Mm. Uh And one of my favorite areas to look at in the Lonely Planet is in the beginning where they have the map, and then they point out the highlight of each country or a couple highlights in each country. So I just kept on reading and reading, and two countries I was not planning on visiting Syria and Yemen. And I kept on looking at the pictures and reading about it. I'm like, my god, I'm like I'm right here. I can't skip these two countries. Then I started investigating Syria and the rule says you need to apply in your home country to get the visa. So mm-hmm. I'm in Jordan and that's not going to happen. I'm not going to send my passport back to Washington DC and hope it gets back to me in Jordan. So I started doing more research One place I go to for research is the forum on TripAdvisor or Thorn Tree Forum on Lonely Planet. And I kept up looking over there and I noted that occasionally people would talk, people would post about getting the visa at the border, except it was not a guaranteed mechanism to get the visa. It was hit or miss. So I was in Amman and I said, you know what? This is worth taking the risk. I'm going to go up there. So I take a shared taxi to the border, which means you just wait at a designated area and you wait for four people to show up and you all get in the taxi and share it up to the border. I quickly stamp out of Amman. I go into no man's land and I arrive at the Syrian visa, Syria border, Syrian immigration area. I run in. I fill out an application. My shared taxi leaves me because the other people were all Jordanian or Syria, were able to pass in five seconds. And then I sat and I waited and I waited and I waited. And I ate a lot of pistachios. Mm -hmm. And after about six hours, I successfully got my Syrian visa. So the other benefit was, I can't remember the exact numbers, I probably paid $20 for it. And if you apply that, the embassy is probably like $150. So I did save a couple of bucks. I then had to get to Damascus and I stood outside and I started looking around for more shared taxis to get to Damascus. I found one. They had an empty seat. I jumped in. It was me and the driver and two Syrian guys. And this was a different time, meaning it's not the civil war. It's not the terrorism. It's not the ISIS. But for the average person going to Syria in 09 still had kind of a connotation of terrorism and fear and lack of safety. And I remember I pull in, we're driving in the taxi and probably 30 minutes, the taxi stops and everybody gets out of the taxi and I'm like, Oh, what's going on here? And then the guys pull out their prayer rugs. They start praying on the side of the road. Mm. Um, then we get back in, and the guy in broken English goes, "Oh, where you're from?" And I'm like, "Oh, um, America." He's like, "Oh, we hate America." <laughs> and I'm like, "Now I'm feeling even a little bit more uncomfortable."
0: Is that when you just said no? I meant South America. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if I if I was quicker on my toes, I would have said so. <laughs>
3: You could have said Canada and got away with it probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So have
0: have there been any cases, uh, Rick, where, um, you know, you had the, the trouble there in China, Tibet, but any other cases where you just were not permitted in the country?
1: Well, I've, I've applied for a Turkmenistan visa. I didn't get that one. I went down to the Venezuela consulate once to try and get one there. I was turned away from that. So there's a couple of situations where I've had that.
0: Any idea or do they
1: give you feedback
0: on why it is that they didn't allow it uh, or, or do you just not know?
1: Well, Turkmenistan is known as the North Korea of Central Asia. And they're very sensitive to foreigners visiting the country. I was planning on going during their independence day and uh, I had signed up for a trip that was going to be visiting during that week. Um, I did not get the visa, but they said, "You can't come now to the country, but you can come two weeks from now. So basically what that was, they were sensitive about media, about security during this high profile week for them. and they declined to give me one during that trip or during that time frame. For Venezuela, Venezuela used to be visa free for Americans as relationships have soured, they have now instituted a visa. I went down to the consulate in Chicago. And in short, they I didn't have enough paperwork for them. And they told me to come back another time with more paperwork. And the, I just ran out of time. I then bothered going back at that point.
4: And you might want to just wait for a year or two or whatever. <laughs>
3: <Five>.
4: <laughs> I was just... This is – well, I was just in Ecuador a couple weeks ago, and um, I met a family from uh, Venezuela, and they were coming over to America for four to six weeks because they had come into their house and business a couple days prior to them being in Panama. So,
1: Yeah, tough situation for all the people in, mean the right. in the government. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when, you,
4: when you're traveling, you see those situations. Not to bring this down, but you see those situations, so you might want to just wait for a little <laughs> I will backtrack a little bit, Rick. We touched, you said one of your favorite places was Armenia. I actually had had that on a short list, but wasn't sure that I was going to get there soon. I'm just curious. You're literally the only person that I talked to that has been there. What, what do you actually love about the area?
1: Well, I, I do have a special tie to the country. I am ethnically Armenian, meaning my okay. grandparents – came from that area and came to the U.S. after the Armenian genocide during the time of the Ottoman Empire. So I had two very special trips to Armenia. The first was in 2002 when I traveled there with my father for two weeks and got an introduction to the country. And then the following year, I moved to Armenia and lived there for four months as a volunteer. Oh wow! Okay. So during that time period, I just met so many great people. I had a, a incredibly fantastic experience, and I've actually been every year to Armenia since two thousand and two. Oh wow! wow. Okay.
0: So so for first time visitors going in, what do you have some recommendations of, of? These are the first three things that you should really do.
1: Yeah. So just overall, Armenia is a great, great country for visitors. It's compact, yet very diverse. And there's good infrastructure and it is also priced extremely well. So friendly people, easy to get around, not going to break the bank and so much to see. The capital, Yerevan, is an amazing city. It's developed so much in the last 15 years that I've been going. But there's a great cafe scene, a great restaurant scene. There's a lot of history there and a lot to see. Outside of the capital, the nature is beautiful. And Armenia is the first Christian nation in the world, 301 Mm -hmm. AD. And there's some of the most beautiful monasteries and churches set in some of the most beautiful outdoor scenes. Wow, I am sold.
4: Yeah, I was looking at it because I was... Looking at a trip to possibly kind of do the you know, Turkey, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Georgia. Georgia, that whole area.
1: Have you been to Azerbaijan or Georgia? I've been to Georgia three times, and that is another great country to visit. I highly recommend it. Tbilisi? As-
3: Have you been to is it the capital Tbilisi?
1: Yep, the capital Tbilisi. Yeah, you'll, I mean, in short, you're going to love it. I'm sorry. I just watched an
3: episode of... Uh, these guys that were traveling in Tbilisi. And I, when I lived in Florida, I had a very good friend of mine that was from Georgia. We became very good friends and it it intrigued me to go to that part of the world. And it's kind of funny that you mentioned that area of the world because I've always wanted to to go to Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, You might as well knock some of those other ones out.
1: Yeah. And you should, it's, it's a wonderful place to visit Georgia. Also one of the few countries where I really like the cuisine. So Another good reason to go there. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Very cool. So 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 switching gears again, Rick. You've written three books, done a couple of films. I'm not sure we have time to talk about all of those things. Can you pick one or two and maybe give us a little history and your experiences with the books and the documentaries?
1: I will do my best. So I'll say there's, you know, there's all sorts of different type of travel, right? So there's people who want to go hiking or trekking there's some people who just want to go on a cruise ship or someone who wants to go to resort and just sit on the beach for a week and someone's a foodie and wants to go to the theater and their museum there's another subset of travel and this type of traveler is interested in the rally and the rally is simply from getting from point a to point b and usually in a unique vehicle in many cases, a challenging scenario or situation. And what I mean by that is there's a number of companies which organize these rallies around the world, and anybody can sign up and participate and get to see a country, in some ways like a local, because you're traveling the local roads, staying in smaller towns. So I've done three of these rallies. The first was from Budapest to Yerevan, that was 17 days through 11 countries. Me and two friends, we bought a 1993 Chevy Blazer in Budapest. <laughs> <laughs>
4: that's awesome. We all love Rick, that. Rick, that's me clapping. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that it's a Chevy Blazer in Budapest. Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> and it had about 170,000 miles. Oh, I'm just broken in <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> and we and we drove it for seventeen days. Um, <laughs> then once I did this rally, I started researching and finding more and more of these amazing rallies. And then the next one I did was in India, and this was done on a rickshaw. So mm. to give you an idea of what a rickshaw is, it's <laughs> yeah, a- that's what we, saw it. we were just completely enamored with <laughs> exactly. It's Please. a it's a It's a three-wheeled vehicle that's open on the sides and is only seven horsepower. When you buy buy a lawnmower today, a riding lawnmower, those things are 20 or 30 horsepower.
3: (laughs) And they're hauling how many people?
1: Exactly. In India, it could be 10 people.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. That's great.
1: is is that
0: is that then uh kind of the uh the hit the road or hit the road India book?
1: Yep. So that's uh so my friend and I participated in this rally and it was driving for two thousand kilometers over twelve days from <laughs> Mumbai to Chennai. Um, wow, that
2: sounds cool though. That <laughs> when when you sign up for Rallies, obviously it's seventeen days or however many days. Do, is accommodations part of it, or do you have to book that and and then are you trying to get to your location or I mean obviously you're gonna have breakdowns and other problems or getting lost <laughs> way? How does all that
1: play out? All of the above. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, love Good
1: answer. I
4: love it. That's when you need to read the book. <laughs> right? I
1: love it. So depending on what company is organizing the rally, every company has their own style. So some of them are like, well, we're going to see you on day one. And whenever you get to the finish line, we'll see you then in the middle. Good luck.
4: <laughs> we're going to be for cocktails on day eight. Here's some camel milk.
1: <laughs> yeah. Enjoy the camel milk. So... The- <laughs> Oh, and it
3: ain't cold either, is
1: it? <clears throat> so the rally I the rally I did in India, which is organized by the travel scientist, is organized in such that the idea was everybody was supposed to meet at the same hotel every night. So that was kind of the rally point you had to get to that hotel every evening. Did everybody make it? Everybody eventually would make it. Some people would get in at six p.m., and some people would get in at midnight.
0: Wow! So, is is your book "Hit the Road India"? Is it kind of a uh, a recap of that experience?
1: Exactly. So, in essence, created a journal, a daily journal of what happened during each day of the rally, and accompanied it with photos. So, it's called "Hit the Road India." It's on Amazon Kindle. It's a quick read. It's fun. But what also I did in addition is for the rally in India, I actually brought two professional filmmakers with me. So my friend Keith and I drove the rickshaw, but we had a film chase car. And then the chase car were these two filmmakers who filmed the entire race. And then we made a movie called Hit the Road, India, and uh, that was released 2014 or 2013. So that was just an amazingly cool experience for me. One, to do the rally, and then two, to make this really cool film. Where can you find that film? Where can you download it or
3: view it it. or access it? Yeah.
1: I, I mean, I was pretty excited with what we did with that film. We played in close to 10 film festivals. Our film was licensed by KLM Airlines in Virgin, Australia. So people were watching our uh, film on airplanes around the world. Um, And we were also the number three documentary on iTunes at one point in United Kingdom. So we had some success there. But basically, you can get it on iTunes, Amazon, Vimeo, IndieRain. Okay. Uh Oh, and, And then actually uh just a couple months ago a cable channel from india licensed the film and our film was played over some cable channel cut up into four episodes for one month in india so hopefully a couple million people saw that episode or the film over in india yeah
4: that's pretty awesome hey rick i also saw that I know you're going to hit Africa, I think, here soon, right? You you hooked up with one of the the travel groups. I know that we've looked into. Or is that the one the trip that you back. just came back from? Yeah, yeah the G Adventures,
1: right? Oh, G Adventures, yeah. G is this great company based out of Toronto. The G Adventures operates in dozens and dozens of countries around the world with several. Different products, and I am working with them as an ambassador, which means they send me on two trips a year. And G-Adventures sent me to Uganda in Rwanda in February of this year for a total bucket list trip for me. I got to Trek for gorillas.
0: Oh, that is all awesome. Wow. So spell that for me. Is it just G-Adventures?
1: Yep, just the letter G and adventure. So easy to Google and some. I mean, you'll get addicted to the website because you'll just start salvatating over one itinerary. Then you look at the next (laughs) one. So you actually work with them as an ambassador to help work on the trip. What I'm doing is I'm creating content for them. So I go on the trip. I write blog posts. I take photographs. I share information over social media. That's great. Is G Wanderer and G Adventures tied together? my the nickname for the ambassadors are g wanderers so you can google g wanderers and you'll see approximately 15 travel bloggers from around the world who are working with g adventures promoting the trips
2: got that's all that on your site is either jew or g wanderer i guess i might be saying it backwards but i just wonder if they were tied together so nope
1: you, you got it perfectly yeah that's just the nickname they give us have you actually done one of the safaris yet yeah, I've done, uh, I mean, probably uh, over half a dozen safaris. One of my favorite, favorite experiences is getting to do safari. There's, I mean, it's absolutely exhilarating when you're in the car and you pop your head open and you see, you know, 20 elephants in the savannah or a mother lion with two cubs or 20 hippopotami in a mud bath. I mean, it's it's hard to say what that feels like when you get to see that in nature.
4: Yeah. know I've, I've talked to a few people. We've been, been slowly trying to put together a trip. I mean, I've had a couple of different opinions so since you've been on, you know, half a dozen or so. What's the area that you have found to be you know, like one of the, the best for your experience?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I would say most people are going to gravitate to either Kenya or Tanzania. Kenya has the Masimara. Yeah. Um, Tanzania has the Serengeti. They're actually, in essence, the same park. And then the other park I always talked about the most is South Africa with Kruger National Park. You can't go wrong with any of those three countries. I'll throw out Namibia because I went there with G Adventures as well. They have a great park called Itosha National Park.
4: Um, yeah, that's actually the one who I, my friends and in England, and highly, highly recommend it.
1: Yeah, so you're not going to go wrong with any of those. And then, you know, you can do them in many, many other African countries as well. But those are some of the stronger, better places to see them.
0: <laughs> so, Ricky, you, you have two other books, uh, 7,000 Kilometers to Go, Photos from Chernobyl that I see on your website, GlobalGaz.com. And, uh, either one of those, uh, you have an exciting story or
1: a tidbit about either one of those you want to chat about? Sure. 7,000 kilometers to go documents. My first rally from Budapest to Yerevan. That was the 17 days in the Chevy blazer. So that's a book Mm -hmm. you can check out, uh, photos from Chernobyl is as it says, photos, from chernobyl which is considered the world's worst nuclear disaster and i would say this is part of dark tourism so this is mm. a- another subset of travel that people like going to did you, did you go there rick yeah yeah how so, did you organize that trip yep so it's again i mean if you don't know much about it, you're gonna say, "Oh my God, this sounds crazy!" You went to Chernobyl. Um, it's well, not actually- much
0: sounds crazy to us, but you know, try <laughs> us out here.
1: Exactly. So it's actually another very straightforward situation. If you go to Kiev, Ukraine, there's probably a half a dozen companies which run tours to Chernobyl. So okay. Chernobyl is—it's called the exclusion zone. It's like a 1,000 kilometer area, which is off limits to people. It's guarded by the police, by the military. But these tour companies can take you on tours within the exclusion zone. From my understanding, like 90% of people, if they go, they do a day trip, but they also have overnight trips as well. And I opted to do the two day, one night trip into the exclusion zone in Chernobyl. And it was awesome, amazing, awesome. I
0: When you go in on that trip, Rick, where do you sleep at night?
1: They sort of have like two, I'll call them like a hostel or little motel. I mean, I, so we just stayed in one of the hostels. I think there's probably only 10 rooms there to rent and they have a little restaurant. So after the first day of sightseeing, you just Stay within the exclusion zone. You get some Porsche and some other Ukrainian fare, a couple of glasses of vodka, go to bed, and then you have another day of visiting different areas within Chernobyl. They don't microwave
0: all their food, do they? Already, <laughs> that is a good question, though, because I, I am—I'm sure that a lot of our listeners might be interested. You know, I think the first thing that comes to mind is, the, of course, the disasters in Chernobyl. So. What's the, uh, the radiation levels like there? Did you feel safe?
1: I mean, I think, at least for me, there's always that feeling of being, you know, a tad unnerved because going to a place like this at some level is illogical.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: From my reading, everybody equated to visiting Chernobyl is the same amount of radiation that you get from a you know, transatlantic airplane flight.
2: Oh, okay. uh, gotcha.
1: So you would walk around with your guide in the Chernobyl zone and he would have a Geiger counter. And at some level, you know, the, the guide is, you know, spending week after week in this area. And my logic or rationale is this guy doesn't want to die. And right. there's some I there's some head He's glowing. I <laughs> so there's some areas within the zone which are extremely radioactive that you don't want to be near. And even when you're just walking around, there might be one piece of moss, which might be 10 times more radioactive than where you're standing. So the guide would walk around and he would hold his Geiger counter and, you know, it'd be at a safe or normal reading. I forget how the the readings work, but then he'd move it over like three feet onto this piece of moss on the ground. And then the Geiger counter would start going crazy and beeping. And like, you would know not to touch that piece of moss. <laughs>
2: were there any, obviously you did a book of pictures from there. Was anything not allowed to be photographed?
1: Yeah, actually it was, once you were in there, the access was incredible. So wherever your guide brought you, yeah, great question. No issues at all. You could photograph whatever you wanted.
3: Right? Did well, you happen to come across any mutated animals?
1: No mutated animals, no Walking Dead. Very safe.
3: <laughs>
0: but they're um, from what I've seen on some of the stories or articles I've read, the wildlife is kind of thriving there.
1: Yeah, that's what I've read and heard about when I was there. I didn't really see any wildlife, but they are
3: discovering mutations, though.
0: Are they really? Yes, they are.
3: They are. Yeah, I've that's. I've seen well, a little documentary on
0: it. We'll have to save that for another episode. <laughs> so so rick you've been doing this now for what uh over a decade or so kind of winding down here to uh wrap up the episode and the interview what would you have done anything you would have done different any few things you might have done different uh now that you're looking back about 10 years of this
1: so yeah i went on my biggest trip in 2009 but really only did some sporadic travel the next several years after that and then I started picking up my travel in 2012, 2013. I didn't start my travel blog, Global Gaz, until 2014. And that was after years of procrastination. So one thing I wish I did do differently is I wish I started the travel blog much earlier and even better in 2009. So that yeah. would have been good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
4: It's one of the things that's ironic that we talked about too. It's like we started our travels again, probably a decade ago. We really didn't get around to doing this until last year. So,
3: (laughs) right. It takes you a while to realize you can really get around pretty
1: fairly easily, really. Agreed. And yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, it's the old, you got to dip your toe in the water. You got to just jump in and get started and start doing it and you'll figure it out.
0: Yeah, very cool. Well, we've 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 hit on a, a ton of topics here, and and looking at your website, Rick, what a great website! You've got so much more on there to look at to read through. Anything else
1: for for Rick here today? that Thanks you guys want time. to chat? The thing I was
4: going to say is I know you just got back from Africa. What, what's what's kind of next on your list?
1: Yeah, so in the U.S. for a couple of days, I fly back to Bangkok for a week, then I go to Armenia and then England. Then I get back to American June for a conference called TravelCon in Boston. August to Japan. September will start a big trip to India, Pakistan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, back to Bangkok in November for a week, then India and in Bhutan, and then back to America from Thanksgiving through Christmas. Okay. Uh, and when are you in England? I will be in England June 6th through the 15th or so. Will you be back in Bangkok uh, January, February? I'm typically trying to spend time in Bangkok because that's the winter, January, February. And that's when you're not sweating quite as much. (laughs) Well, well, we may actually
4: have a trip coming to Southeast Asia in January, February. So we'd love to
1: see you guys there.
4: Yes, we have to check into that. So, okay, awesome. Okay, well, Rick, thanks so
0: much for joining us and, and sharing all of these incredible experiences. You know, before you go, would you mind kind of giving a refresher to our listeners where they can find you, how to access your
1: content? Of course. And uh, once again, thank you so much for having me on. It was a lot of fun speaking to all of you guys. And I appreciate all of uh-huh. the uh, warm words and plugs. But you can find me on the web at globalgazgaz.com. And basically, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter—you know, same thing. Global gas.
0: Awesome. Well, Rick, thanks so much again. It was a real pleasure talking with you, and uh, we hope to talk with you again real soon, and maybe to see you in person here soon as well.
1: Likewise, maybe either Bangkok or West Virginia.
0: Yeah, either or both. <laughs> That's not something you usually hear in a sentence. <laughs> 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 hey, Rick, take care. Safe travels. <laughs> okay, guys, thank you. So uh, that concludes our interview with Rick Gaz, who we appreciated very much taking so much time to talk through all of his travel experiences and all the great things that he's doing for uh, the friends that carry on. Next up, I think there's a trip to Greece maybe sometime coming up soon.
4: Yeah, yeah several of us are heading to uh, Greece here in what, two two to three weeks?
0: Three weeks. Leaving
4: the 20th.
3: Yeah.
0: Very good. Okay. Well, we'll have lots of fun things, I'm sure, to talk about after yeah. that trip and, and maybe a little bit while we're there. Thanks, everybody, again, for listening to the Friends That Carry On podcast. Our next episode, will be talking about our experiences at uh, Notre Dame and the recent tragedy that took place there. And uh, you can find us Online at friendsthatcarryon.com, or you can search for us on Facebook or Instagram. And be sure to check out our contest on Instagram where you can earn up to a $250 gift card to Sierra.com. So, with that, we're signing off for the week and we look forward to talking with you again next week.
3: Ciao. Peace.
0: Be sure to join the friends next week with another great podcast. And don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. You can also find the Friends and other content on www.friendsthatcarryon.com or check us out on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook by searching Friends That Carry On. Thanks again for joining us and don't forget to carry on, friends.